3: Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
1: Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Match Report. I'm your host Chris Hambling and today we look back at a 4-1 defeat at the hands of Chelsea at Selhurst Park. We'll be right back after this short message.
0: The Match Report. Sponsored by Pitch Sport. Available to download on the App Store and Google Play.
2: Pitchdmm.com
3: Alexa, play Back at the Nest
2: podcast. Playing Back of the Nest, CPFC podcast from amazon music
3: back of the nest now on your alexa device and amazon music
1: right after that exciting introduction i think i'll get straight into introducing my panel first up we have mike scott hello mike
0: yeah hello um it's always exciting to do pods after these kind of games isn't it
1: yeah yeah can't can't wait to get cracking on with this one so much to talk about and uh Man who's never short of a few words. We're also joined by DR Kernaz.
4: Hello, hello. Um sorry to quantitwickem, it's happened again. But yeah, <laughs> let's just ignore it.
1: After our bet last week, um that's thirteen pounds of mine. It's looking very safe indeed. Yeah, can
0: I just say so be- he, he lasted two days. He le- so <laughs> what we, we posted it we posted it on Twitter, um your theory about him not getting injured now that he had no ligaments or bones left to injure. Two days later, uh, he was marked as injured. So there you go.
1: Incredible work, and um, yeah, please don't put any more theories together about any player's deal um, because you know things are as bad enough as it is. But we still, you know, we still need a team to finish the season, I guess. <laughs> so look, before we get cracking, we're talking about uh, what was an awful performance against Chelsea. Uh, you know, real note, just total lacklustre, no real intensity or effort, and we'll talk about why we think that was just a couple of bits and news for you. So the under 23s Mike played today. Uh, got a 2-2 draw. Who was it against and how did it go?
0: Well, none of the three of us watched it because uh, Mondays Mondays is a terrible Monday often is a terrible time to be able to watch football. You can get away with it most days at work I think, but Mondays you have to at least knuckle down and pretend to be doing something. So if they could swap it to like Thursdays or something that would be amazing. Um but yeah, it was a 2-all draw with uh, with Stoke 0-0 at half-time, were four goals in the second half. Mateta scored one. It was, it was a strong Palace side. Uh, Mitchell, Dan and Kelly were all playing at the back and Mateta up front alongside Street. Um, and uh, the boy that we'll mention in a bit that's just got a contract extension or a new contract, Raksaki, playing as well. So, um, yeah, sounded sound like a decent game and I'm pretty gutted that I was uh, in a security IT meeting for the time when the game is on. <laughs>
1: absolutely right now it's not the best of times is it to to be watching these things I usually get away with uh being able to watch it I think it's one o'clock kickoff usually which is a part of my lunch break so if I take lunch a little bit late I can get to watch these things but wasn't at home today um but there you go uh 2-2 two, two draw and you know the 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 under 18s and the 23s are actually you know they're decent to watch you know Derry's got them well drilled at the 23 level and Paddy McCarthy's doing a great job with the 18s they are a really talented bunch and well, they are from that talented bunch, and Rakzaki signed his first professional deal, was on the bench, of course, against Chelsea, didn't get on, and we'll talk about what Roy said about that later on. But I'm going to give you Roy's comments. Um, well, an, an element of Roy's comments. Let's not be ridiculous here because, you know, he was very uh, effusive in his praise. You know, he talked very strongly about what a great job he's done as a as a young player to kind of develop him show confidence. And we've seen that in the 23s footage that we've seen. And those who've watched the games can see, you know, he runs really well with the ball. Very, very confident. Um, was standing out at 18 level and rightly promoted to the 23s and into the first team setup. But Roy actually said this, he said, um, you know, talking about him getting uh, any first team action this season. He said, it's not impossible, uh, which is an odd way of phrasing it. You could just say it's possible. Um, But he said, unfortunately, you've got to go back a long way, almost before my time in the Premier League, in the 90s, where you actually gave away a few positions in the team at the end of the season, just to give someone a run out or to give a couple of players a bit of extra rest. I've got a feeling those days are gone because each Premier League game is of such vital importance. So DR, that vitally important game against Chelsea, was it absolutely right of Roy Hodgson not to give him that opportunity?
4: Uh, with all due respect, just shut up. Not you, Hambo, but to manager. I'm just tired of his comments. I mean, when Pierrick had the opportunity as well to come on, he made it a big deal when he played 10 minutes. It's always a big deal when it comes to the youngsters. I understand that he's got obsession with all these players and experienced players. Um, but, you know, it is never that serious to, to be able to give opportunities to these youngsters. Look, I mean, he didn't have to start the game. No one expected him to start the game. He didn't have to start the Everton game. But in this game in particular, why didn't we see him? That 10-15 minutes of Raktaki being on the pitch might have not been significant by any means to the scoreline. But him being on the pitch for 10-15 minutes, imagine being a youngster and playing against Chelsea in the Premier League. The motivation that he must have got, even that 10-15 minute experience, it, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it would be a lot for him. He should have been on the pitch, you know, even, even after the substitutions that we made. If, if he came on in the 75th minute, had a run-in, it still would have been good, but... He just, I don't understand it. He's so obsessed with these experienced plays. We've got nothing to play for. Um, and it was a missed opportunity against Chelsea.
1: Absolutely right. And, um, you know, post-match comments. And Mike, I know you've watched Palace TV and you've watched Roy's comments. I read a few bits and have, have watched a brief BBC interview. But he, he talked about it not being the right time to bring him on and said that he would have been shocked at the way the team played in the first half and shocked at the things that were said at half time and that kind of stuff, and that's why it was the wrong time. Um, how much sway do you put in that?
0: Okay, so, yeah, so he he talked uh, in a very, I can't speak verity, a very uncharacteristic uh, Hodgson way. He was um, pretty scathing in the first half performance um, and said that, you know, he gave people a rollicking behind closed doors at half time with the view that the second half, they would try and at least win the second half. Um, So I can kind of understand the justification um, in that he didn't want it to be an embarrassment. Um, I think his exact quote was he could write a book about the things that were wrong in the first half. Um, So, you know, perhaps that is a justification for not playing him. Yeah, I just want to talk about what um, Paddy McCarthy said on Ratsaki. Um, and this is from the Palace website. Jess is an example for the rest of the players because he's had to work really hard to improve areas of his development and deal with disappointments of not being in the team. He's knuckled down and seen the fruits of his labour, and I think that's an example to all young players we have here. That, to me, sounds like he is tied up with a bow on exactly what Hodgson would want in a young player. Um, you know, properly trying to impress and working hard, which is... What he seems to value amongst most of his the things that he thinks highly of, so um, I'd like to see him at least get 15 minutes before the end of the season. um, See what other excuses he comes up with in the other games why it's not a good time. But
1: yeah, for sure. And look, you know, you absolutely do have to get players, you know, working hard and dealing with disappointment and and bouncing back. That is an important thing to do. And you know, we have we have had a bit of a windu about him not being used, but but you know, obviously it's really positive news because. You know, this was a kid who was doing really well, and the papers had him linked and to, to to various clubs, uh, you know, at home and abroad, and you know, it looked looked like, you know, the way the press were going that we were going to lose him. Now, a lot of people who are closer to the academy said that you know, really, that's just a bit of posturing to, to to negotiate on the contract, and it seems that that was very much the case. But we've done well to get him to get him signed up. You know, we we took him on from Chelsea, I think it was, um, so. You know, to have somebody who's who's clearly got talent and has clearly kicked on, you know, it's all about timing with young players sometimes. You know, you can have players who have got incredible amounts of talent, but they're not quite pushing. And I mean, I go back to Zaha, you know, back in the days where he was coming through the academy and he being kept on the bench by Nathaniel Pinney. Um, But you know, it could have been very, it would have been very, very easy for the club to have you know let Wilf go at some point because he wasn't getting opportunities. But you know he knuckled down and kicked on and, and became the player he is because, you know that talent's there and hopefully, you know for Rakitic it's the same story. You know didn't didn't get the opportunities at Chelsea, but knuckled down, kicked on at Palace and you know there is you know we've we've clearly it's clearly been a deliberate thing to show him that that first team environment to convince him to sign that contract. That's clearly been what's happened. I don't believe for one second he would have been. Roy's choice to, to put him in and around the squad for any other reason than that, if I'm being cynical. But listen, it's positive news. It's positive to see a young player you know, pushing to, to get opportunities. And um, long may it continue. So before we get into the Chelsea review, it's time to talk about our sponsor, Pitch Sport Football. Google those words, download the app and get involved on there. You can pick your team for the game ahead. You can put your predictions in there. You can review the match, review the referee, review the atmospheres. Not that there's much point doing that at the moment. Um, You know, give your man of the match. All those statistics go into a lovely big melting pot. And the guys at Pitch Sport produce the data for us to build our show around. They're really helping us plan our shows and do our work and show what Palace fans are thinking. So please do join us on there. And this season, they've launched a four-play game where you pick the results of four games and compete in the leaderboard against everybody else on the app. And just gone this weekend, we ran a competition for Palace fans, and the top-scoring Palace fan was to win £50, and we'll be announcing who that is by contacting the winner fairly shortly on that. And I dare say we'll probably run a few more competitions in the near future. So get involved, get signed up on Pitch Sport Football. Okay, gents, it's time to talk about Palace one, Chelsea four. Hey, um,
0: yeah, we have
1: to. <laughs> oh, we're afraid so, but we won't do it for very long. Look, it was—I've um, said this about a few games this season, but I really do feel it summed our season up, you know. And we've already talked already. Mike's mentioned that um, you know that Roy was quite scathing of the team, and I've picked a few things up on that really, which. You know, he talks about having collective responsibility, but you know, once again, you know, Dr. We did the watch along, and you you asked me how what I thought about the game, and we you know talked about the Everton performance being a, a relatively positive step for a lot of people, although I wasn't overly enamoured with it. Um, but lots of people seemed to be quite confident about going into this game and giving a good showing of ourselves. But you know, you and I talked before the watch along about what we felt, and I think similar to me, you you know, we, we were kind of both getting on along the lines of where we probably going to hand the ball to Chelsea and ask them to attack us. And that's exactly what we did. We were incredibly passive. We are so, so slow. I cannot bear watching Palace play at that pace, but couldn't keep possession of the football. You know, and dear, I've got to start with what Roy said, because he was saying it was a very bad defeat, and he said against a very good team. But he said, it's our job to make the life as hard as we can, and we didn't do that today. Does that really... He's talking about the, the team not doing that, but how did he how did he put a team out to be that passive and then talk about how badly they played? Surely that comes from him, right? If we start that game that negatively. That's all. That's down to the manager and how he sets the team up, right? Surely.
4: Well, look. Where do I start with this? Well, looking in hindsight, there was nothing majorly wrong with the lineup. Personally, I would have wanted Schalp in there for Jordan Ayu. Mitchell starts over PVA any day of the week. And that's another run itself. Maybe we'll talk about it a bit later. Um, but there wasn't that that many wrong things that Roy done in, in, in preparation for this game in terms of the lineup. But once the game kicked off, normally you have games where you might start a bit slow. Or you might start a bit slow just in general. Or you might start a bit slow because of the opposition. And from minute one, you can tell. By the way that Chelsea set up with the 3-5-2 formation that it was going to be a long game for us. We didn't start slow because Chelsea were great. I mean, they were great, but that wasn't the reason for it. The reason was because of the system. The 4-4-2 just simply couldn't cope with Chelsea 3-5-2. They had players going in out wide, two, three players. We couldn't cope with that. And of the first goal started, started on the right-hand side. A, a quick three passes down the right-hand side, ball into the box, and they score. The second goal, through the left-hand side, three passes, All into the box, goal. And you know what? It is down to the system. And what annoyed me the most is the fact that, yes, we started off poorly, but the fact that why did you wait till the 60th minute to make changes? After the 25th minute, before we even considered that three goals, it was clear as daylight that this was a problem about the system. It was not a problem about Chelsea just starting good. We were getting absolutely fresh. We couldn't keep the ball for five seconds. Why didn't you make a change then? Why do you make a change at half-time? Why do you have to wait? Last week, I was positive for one reason. Not for picking up the one point against Everton, but the fact that there was game management in that game. We saw positive substitutions, which led to us getting a goal. Now, for this game, I'm not saying if you made two free substitutions at 25 minutes, the game would have changed. But why did you wait? I don't understand this manager and his lack of game management. Like you've managed for all these years, surely you can see it. If I can see it, if you can see it, but if everyone else can see it that there is something clearly wrong with the system, why can't you? Why? I I just don't get it, and it frustrates me. the The way that this game went from minute one to minute, you know, ninetieth, it was just poor and it's just pathetic from the manager. Really, you know, you can't just put the blame blame on the players. Yes, some players. Some players didn't play that great, but it was just wrong with the system. The system just didn't work and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you don't change it, that's when the problem comes up, you know, when you wait till the 60th minute. You should have changed it earlier.
1: Exactly right. You can get it wrong, but to do nothing about it is criminal, right? To do absolute, to to have no reaction at all. So Mike, in terms of, you know, obviously Diaz quite forcefully put that point across. So Roy, Roy said this, right? He said, sometimes we have to do what we think absolutely necessary to get those points except we can't go toe-to-toe and play the same way but we have enough self-respect and belief in ourselves to do more than we did today what's he saying about what's he trying to say about how we played and except we can't go toe-to-toe with the team because I haven't seen us go toe-to-toe with many teams so what's he talking about here in this game
0: yeah okay I sort of Get where you're, you're angling at. And in, in the interview I watched, he, he talked about how it was obvious to everyone, him and his players, that Chelsea were a better side than Palace. Um, so you'd think that he'd want to go for the kind of Allardyce, pulist style, um, let's uh, let's really get into them horrible tackles, shithousery, that kind of stuff. Um of which none of that was evident in any way. So I don't know what he's trying to say there. Like if the team, if you're if you're telling your team that the team you're playing against is considerably better than you, you're then putting in bugger all tackles. Um, I think the most any of our players had in terms of tackles was like four or something pathetic like that. Um, I don't really see where you're going to possibly match them in any way whatsoever. Um, we had one shot. I mean, what, what, yeah, I don't even understand what he's trying to get at. What so, he's I'm, saying I'm, makes no sense of what he did.
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm racking my brains, right? So the only thing that I can I can think, well, you know, and I and I am absolutely not making an excuse for for Hodgson. You you know that you know what I what I feel about the managerial situation, but you know, ultimately, when you when you, when when you send the players out, the players have to first of all do what they're asked to do but second of all they have to manage the game to some degree themselves you know so I think the source of a lot of our problems when we have when we have games like this where we're we're just played off the park by the pace and accuracy of of the passing of the opposition and the movement of the opposition you know I get really angry because it's not like we're not capable of doing it ourselves we're not capable of keeping with runners so I can only imagine that he's suggesting that the the complete and utter failure of the of us to close down Chelsea at all. Because we didn't. We didn't, we, we stood off and watched them play football. Um, and I can only imagine what he's saying is that he didn't instruct the players to do that, that he did instruct them to, to close space, to watch, you know, to get close to the to the opposition. But you know, when what DR talks about in terms of the tactical failures were incredible in this game because the front line for Chelsea, they didn't bother. Putting an out-and-out striker on, they didn't need to. They played three forward players who, basically, if you if you looked at all the, if you look at all the goals, there's no more than one player central. So what they actually did was make our centre backs uh, utterly pointless because all they could do was come out of position and and try and go with a runner. But those runners were doubling up, tripling up out wide, wide areas of box. I'm not talking about out the flanks because the, you know, the wing backs did that job and 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 you know, expose the weaknesses out there like a lot of teams do. But the forwards actually just stood on the back posts, back you know, back and near post. And, you know, the, the it just completely destroys a Roy Hodgson team because it's all about static defending. It's all about being in position, closing space. So if the players aren't where you expect them to be, it makes you look ridiculous. And they did that. But going back to Diaz's point, we did nothing about it. You know, you could see it from minute one. We we talked about it again on the watch line. We talking about it going... You know, three times um, Eze was caught right in the, in the left-back position where PVA's tucked in or gone beyond in one of the two. Um, and he got caught back to back to goal, running towards his own goal line. You know, he needs a shout. Somebody needs to say to him, let just kick that ball out of play because you've got two players on you. Don't try and juggle it. Don't try and play a clever pass inside because this lot, they're right up against us. We got away with it twice, but for, for goal number one, you know, we just, we just got away with the fact that Pulisic had got an effort in the central for from, from some good play, got pushed out wide, and Eze once again in that position, caught in possession. And then Havertz is just allowed to walk into the box, right? He, he's at walking pace, shifting the ball onto his foot to shoot because no one's closing him. we got a box full of defenders and no one's putting a challenge in. And you can't say that the manager's told them to do that, but he puts them out there with this with this structure and with this philosophy and Chelsea just tore it apart. And, and I don't know what else to say about it other than that. It was unbelievable
4: to watch. So defensively, there's no problems with you know just sitting back against Chelsea. But looking at what West Brom done against Chelsea, they managed to score five goals, let alone, you know, we barely... Um, our first shot was a struggle and it went in. Um, and it took about around 60 to 70 minutes for us to get that. But they changed their, they changed their formation to... F- you know, to fit their system better. So they changed the formation. They had five at the back because Chelsea had three at the back. So they knew that there'll be more players going and attacking. So they had to have more numbers behind. It makes sense. You know, that is what you call a good manager. Your manager is expected to go and watch the opposition, see how they play. Because this was, if this was the first game that Chelsea played three at the back, then I would say, you know what, Roy, fair enough. It was a bit surprising for them to come out like that. And then, you know, we just got, we just got outmanaged and it wasn't really our fault because it was unexpected. But when a team is playing like this, not only for the first time, but have come from the previous game playing like this and losing 5-2, um, losing even though it was a red card, then you're at fault. I mean, forget about the formations now. What was our game plan in possession? Because it seems like we wanted to keep the ball when we should have known that Chelsea are going to be pressuring us. And if we wanted to keep the ball, then why were there no players showing options for the majority of the time? why couldn't we suit to that? What did we do in training last week to combat Chelsea's And Because we should know this as a Premier League club. As a Premier League manager, you should know how your position plays against you on and off the ball. Why couldn't we combat this? Was it down to the players? Or was it down to the tactics? I'm not too sure. I think it's more down to the tactics. Yes, Eze had a poor game. But as you said, Hambo, where was the options there for Eze? He did, it did seem like he had lots of time on the ball. But watching the replay, Gary Cahill was marked. You know, all the options were cut off. And once again... It was individuals rather than team. That's what we looked like. A bunch of individuals trying to bring the ball forward. And it's never going to work against the great sides.
0: i want to play devil's advocate. And this is possibly giving Hodgson much more credit than he deserves for this game. Um, but if he was playing, planning to play on the break, um, it did work um, in terms of us being far back to begin a break. Uh, because when you look at the average positions for our team, there's actually only three players um, that are their average position was was in Chelsea's half, and none of them are past the edge of the center circle. Um, so it, Benteco is the most far forward; his average position is just on the edge of the center circle. Chris, you didn't get to hear this obviously because you were doing the uh, the watch along. Chris Coleman made some very odd comments during the game as co-commentator. Firstly, he said that he was he was shocked that Palace started as poorly as they did. Um, And yeah, we put that out to Twitter um, to find that there wasn't a single Palace fan that agreed with him. But a bit later on, he spoke about Palace's high press. Now, those average position stats um, suggest anything but a high press. If (laughs) if Hodgson was... Yeah, well, yeah. If Hodgson was playing for the break then we had the perfect springboard position right, right back as far as we've been the entire season. Unfortunately, <laughs> w- we only had one dribble, one cross and one shot all game. Although, 100% conversion rate. in
1: fact. Yeah, exactly. But that's the thing. So Roy's gone on record as saying we're not a counter-attacking team. And I agree with that because to counter-attack, you need to play at pace. And, you know, he's effectively stripped the pace out of the side. Um, you know, DR mentioned earlier not even picking, you know, his former favourite, Jeffrey Schlipp, um, over Jordan Ayu at the moment. And that's probably a little unfair on Ayu in the sense that at least he does try and run with the ball. But when he's back defending, uh, as was Eze, that most of the game back, you know, trying to cover the wing backs, because again, we haven't, as D.R. said, adapted to a system, that's incredibly frustrating. But You know, we start talking about what was our game plan going forward. And, and, you know, there wasn't, realistically, there wasn't one, you know. It really was defend and hope we get an opportunity. I talked about that on the watch long. I talked about it on the pod loads of times. Roy Hodgson uses the word hope way too much when he talks about attacking football, when he talks about how we're going to create chances. It's all about, well, we hope we're going to get an opportunity in a game. You don't hope to get an opportunity in a game. You work to create an opportunity in the game. And the one opportunity we created, we'll talk about in a bit. But going on to the second goal from Chelsea, look at the tempo that they played with. Look at the accuracy of the passing. I know we're talking about a team that Roy has gone on record and saying, even at our best and at their best, we're probably nowhere near them. That kind of a thing. But realistically, our players look divisions below that level of being able to play. You know the the kind of passing and movement with the accuracy and the pace. That Chelsea played with, we seem miles off that, and that's humiliating, isn't it? Because, you know, we stood and watched that in, in the second goal as they just passed it round us. Again, as I said earlier, the positions that the forwards were picking up were not centre forward positions. They were they were between fullback and a and a central defender, and no neither knew what to do about it. And Pulisic, yeah, he smashed it past. It was great. It was a fantastic move from Chelsea. But when you've got a defense that's standing and watching it, something is dramatically wrong.
0: Back of the nest. Sponsored by Pitch Sport. Funtime videos. Choose your match day squad, post-match ratings, and much
2: more. Available to download on the App Store and Google Play. PitchDMM.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with muc delivery.
3: That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
0: And I, I get the impression that when Hodgson said he was pissed off with the first half, or pissed off with the game in general. It was for things like Kay Hill not getting closer to the header against Zuma, who incidentally had double the amount of shots that our entire team did. Um rather than than any kind of break and going forward. I, I think he was perfectly happy with IE's performance, which was embedded down the uh down the right hand side of his own half. Um but yeah I think it was not getting up for headers um And the the very fine margins of things in our own box that we've been doing so well recently that annoyed him rather than the kind of things that were annoying 98% of the watching Palace
1: public. No, it's a good point. And, you know, you talk about the third goal from Zuma there and it was, but we, this is where this approach kills us because at that point in the game, you know, we're half an hour in, and at that moment we were two nil down and, what else can the team do but to try desperately to get back into the game? Because we've given those two goals away so early and, and so easily that of course you you immediately play into Chelsea's hands because they then know all they need to do is play on the break, and that's where that goal came from. They just they waited for us to have like a rare foray forward, they stood off us, and again we go back to the you know, jumping the gun a little bit here when Roy was talking about how bad the first half was and we went out to try and win the second half. Because Chelsea didn't need to do much, did they? They could drop a couple of gears and still win the game, which is exactly what they did. So we can take no credit from from this improved second half performance because it was only down to the fact Chelsea didn't need to play with the same pace. They could have done. They could have kept their energy up. Probably scored you know seven, eight goals. And let's not forget Guaita saved a whole bunch as well. So it was that bad. It really was. But you know that third goal comes from just. It just shows you how there's more wrong than just a bad performance when Kurt Zouma can be in the box, unchallenged. Cahill watching the ball. Kiyate completely cut out by the pass. Van Aanholt unsure whether to go wide or to go, to go with the man that Cahill should be picking up. So for Gary Cahill to be caught under the ball and Kurt Zouma to be able to head freely into the net, so much is wrong with basic defending there that... You know, you're 3-0 down and the game is dead in that moment. And you know, what what can you say about it? How can how can Zuma get a free header? Um, but again, there's nothing new for us to say there. So let's let's talk about another thing, DR. And let's talk about the fact that after the changes, which came after the 60th minute, as you mentioned, Jeffrey Schlupp is on the pitch, takes a little moment to, to actually dribble at the defence, goes out wide, puts a really good cross, left footed into the box for Christian Benteke to head home. Um, the one time we crossed to Christian Benteke in the centre of the area in the whole game. Um, and I guess, I, sp- I suppose you're expecting we won't do it for
4: another five games like we usually don't. No, we won't. We won't. We joke about it, but we, we probably won't. And it, I think what this season, I'm just reflecting on your game right now. I think what this season is showing us that, I know some people have said that Benteke is finished, Benteke is this and that. But I think you know as palace fans looking at benteke's goals this season how many of how many goals has he scored like six around four of his goals have been headers now we've been calling for it for ages not only this season but for a very long time and it's such a simple thing but i don't understand for some re- for one reason or another to hodgen it isn't put crosses into the box onto benteke's head and he will score more often than not and that has been been proven to be the case this season so i've been thinking Yes, Penteke has been poor, but is his goal-scoring drought really down to him? Or is it just down to Roy Hodgson, which no other striker has really flourished in the system, and the fact that he is not playing to his strengths? Because last season, we were talking about it. Ben Teke came back last season and he contributed. And he was contributing not by goals, but, you know, he was bringing the ball down, giving it to Wilf and stuff. But, like, he's he was still there contributing. He was not performing badly. And then this season, once again, he's doing the same thing, but he's getting more goals. And the reason why the goals are coming from is from headers majority of the time. That's what the stats show, and it's not a lie. Why don't we do that more often? Imagine Ben under on the dash. Like, just imagine that. He plays, he will play to Ben Teke's strengths. And yes, Benteke is 30 years old, but if Sean Nash comes in, then it might be another punt. It might be worth another punt on Benteke because he doesn't seem like a finished product. I, I just don't understand it. People complain about Benteke being this and that and not scoring goals, but how can you expect a man to score goals with no service? We only had one shot in a game against Chelsea and we've had many games like this where we haven't been a good attacking side and the one shot that Benteke had, the one chance that he had, he finished it. Like, it's not rocket science.
1: No, I know what you mean. And and you know, you you talk about Venteke under Dyche and you know, we'll we'll maybe end the show talking about some rumours in, in, in that area. But I have to agree and, and I know it's something we've kind of floated as an idea before, but you know, you, you look at Benteke's drop off and it does coincide with the with the managerial reign of Roy Hodgson. Um, and, and as you rightly point out, it's not like there have been any other strikers who've come in and scored consistently in his place. Um, you know, I'm I'm not gonna dare suggest that there weren't opportunities in that time that Benteke missed when he shouldn't have done. But, you know, we lost all sense of rhythm and, and, and confidence w- with him in terms of creating consistent chances. You know, the one thing we did when he played so well under Allardyce was we gave him constant opportunities, the right type of opportunities. Um, and that that goes for any striker. You go back to when we talked, you know, a lot of people talked a lot about Dwight Gale a lot. You know, whenever Gale got the kind of opportunities that he, that he thrives on, you know, he scored goals and it was really the rest of his game that wasn't great, but, you know, he didn't really fit a Premier League club because of the, the extra amount of work that's needed. But for, for a Roy Hodgson forward, you know, you need to be a, a defender first and a striker second more often than not. And that, that's what's wrong. That's what's, you know, there's no coincidence there. So, you know, in a a way, as much as I've gone on record as saying that Dyche wouldn't be my choice of manager for a variety of reasons, not least that I don't think he fits the South London culture of of Palace. But the idea of playing to the strength of Benteke, if he was to remain at Palace, you know, I think he'd get goals um, like he has this season when we've given him opportunities. Um and I certainly think his all round game is, is, is also good enough to leave lead the line at a lot of Premier League clubs. But you know, his reputation took a battering because we simply haven't used him the way that, that he needs to be used and, and should be used. But it's not it's not all it's not all on him, you know, it's not all down to uh down to Hodgson. You know, Benteke did have a part to play too.
0: I mean the worst thing about Roy in all of this, if he wants a striker that's a defender first and a striker second well, he hasn't even put Scott down up front, has he? That would have been the perfect answer to everything,
4: Scott down. <laughs> yeah, Scott down. Number
1: of the number of times you've asked for Scott down up front, and it did happen this season, didn't it? In a game, I'm pretty sure we the last ten minutes, we chucked him up top. Very exciting. One was that, game was, that the was, game, he, was, was it he, was last? year? I don't know. I've lost all, all track of time, but you know, it's... Um, it's
4: been a depressing season. I think that's yeah, probably really the highlight. Is. It probably was last season because we would have remembered it by now. Because that's probably the only highlight if he did play up. <laughs>
1: Um, what well, Hudson did speak about Benteke since we're talking about him he, he said that he's doing well he's certainly working hard he's trying to do the sort of things we're preaching and asking him to do because he's very and it's very good he's starting to score some goals his goal scoring for the last couple of months has been on a regular basis I can't fault him and it was nice to see him score a goal today to give us some glimmer of hope albeit a minor glimmer because of the way we played in the first half and second half Roy which virtually made sure that Chelsea would go away with three points but, there you go. He's acknowledging better form there, but probably, let's face it, he's never going to acknowledge his part in in getting the best out of that, you know, of that particular player. So um, there was one more goal in the game, of course, and it was Pulisic getting his second. And again, it was um, fairly, you know, fairly representative of the, of the whole game. Obviously, we're pushing, trying to get back in it. Um, and Chelsea playing very much at a, a lower pace and, and below themselves, but they knew they could pick off pick their chances when they wanted to attack. Had a couple of dangerous attacks, but you know, quite late on, Pulisic getting an opportunity at the back post. It was flat defence again, you know, there was a still still an overload on the side, still went for an entire game without learning that lesson at all. Um, you know, and, and very few occasions where any Chelsea player bothered to actually be in the centre of the penalty area. So once again a couple of players completely in our central central defence being completely unused, Patrick Villarnholt tucked in narrow, so doesn't know who to go with, so ends up marking nobody apart from a space, and um, yeah, back post finish done for one, and the very least we deserved. And I suppose probably the only thing we can really talk about from here um, is is who do we think came out of the game with any credit at all? Um, the only person I can think of uh, was Guiter because he made a couple of well probably three to four very good stops and a couple of other decent ones as well uh, otherwise it, it could have been a significant significantly large defeat but Mike I, I know Sunis was actually giving him some stick on the on the commentary if you if you were watching that uh, he
0: absolutely laid into him um he blamed him for both of the first two goals. Um, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what it was. I don't know what it, what it, what he'd had in his tea, what, what, what pissed him off. But he absolutely laid into Vicente, and um, I mean that made me dislike Souness even more. I, I don't know what his problem was, but um, he wasn't watching the same game as me. That's for sure.
4: Very odd. Make any sense of that, Dr? Let's not even talk about it because I don't want the end <laughs> points to go too much about Souness. There's so many things wrong with that guy. But yeah, let's ignore it. <laughs>
1: Anybody else that you can think of? He comes out of any credit at all.
4: Mm. Mm. The fans for sticking by for the nine minutes to watch that. If he did, um, <laughs> apart from that, yeah, Jeff, yeah, Jeff was good, but that's not. I mean, I wanted only, him to start. That's got not surprising. He got. One
0: crossing. I mean, it it was amazing, but he got one crossing. The the sum total of the team's crossing was from him, but. You know, he didn't get a second one in, did he? So, a tiny bit of credit, but not much.
4: Yeah, but I think that's how low our standards are. I mean, you, you <laughs> saw it last week, to be fair. We were all excited about playing away from home against Everton, which, on paper, they looked like a very good side. But in reality, they only won one game at home in the Premier League since the turn of the year, so in four months. Um, and they sat back for the last 15 minutes, which we were very good because they sat I mean, that's that's how low our standards are. <laughs> It's anything, any small thing that's good, we have to be excited about it. If we're not, and I understand it, if we're not excited about it, even that one cross from Jeff, then it's like, what's the point of watching the next game? It is so poor watching Palace this season. You look at the points, I guess it now towards the end of the season, we're going to see the real points, Tally, and where we end up in the league because we've got some hard run of games coming up. But it is, this Palace side should be doing better. I mean, we saw it. In the first... 45 minutes of the game or let's say first half an hour of the game then this this group of players is not that bad technically that they can't keep the ball for more than five seconds without losing it like it's, it's whatever's Hodgson done since they come to the squad yes he's kept us up but as the season's gone on um, the technical ability of these players have just been dropping and it seemed like they have no hope I don't know if the problem is we've got so many players out of contract like PVA talk about him every week but you know Does he have to worry about this result? Does he have to worry about the next seven games? He doesn't. Because we've seen it. The rumours are there. Galatasaray is there. Um, Arsenal, Leeds, he's been rumoured with them clubs. I'm not too sure if that's true. But there there will be a contract for him afterwards. So why are we giving PVA a 30-year-old defender who can't defend playing time in the last seven games, which we've got nothing left to play for, instead of Mitchell, who's a better defender, who can also attack as well? It doesn't make sense. I don't care even if you lost 4-1 with Mitchell on the pitch. Everything is experienced. Losing 4-1, as you said, Hamburg at the start of the show, as you said, every, the highs and the lows, these players need to go through it to help their development. It's all part of the game. We're not playing, you're not playing for Real Madrid or, you know, one of them big European sides where you're going to win 90% of the games or 60% of the games. You're playing for Crystal Palace. You're going to lose hard games like this and you're going to win games. I'd rather Mitchell star and experience all of this and Raksaki come on for 15 minutes and experience this because this is what it's going to be like at Palace and you have to be mentally strong to play for this Palace side. I guess in the future, it won't be as this bad, hopefully, when Daisho or Eddie Howe comes in. But it's all part of the process of developing as a player.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you yeah, know, the only... I mean, just to sort of sum everything up, um, you know, if you're going to play sort of negative football... Um, and, and talk about, you know, closing the gaps, chasing teams down, you know, obviously you can look at the players and say that they, they probably didn't carry out the instructions um, as the manager would have put forward, right? But there's one thing that you need to do. If you're going to... Look, we are susceptible to the high press. We, we see it every time a team presses us. And, you know, the, the first question in my head is why can't we do that to the opposition? But the second question is always with why can't we cope with it? and it comes down to real basic things. It comes down to the team moving for each other, backing each other up if you know if someone's in trouble getting out there and helping them but not doing it slowly, you know actually you know run, don't play walking football don't play don't stick in your positions and stick in this disciplined shape if the team that you're playing against is playing all around you if you're you know if you're if you're left midfielder who's having to drop back into left back is caught out twice in a row with his back to goal heading the wrong way and has no options, give him a shout, help him out, give him options. Because if you don't, you get punished. That's what happened to us. And to me, there, there is no excuse for a manager to, to have that happen on a continual basis. And for me, I, I might be exaggerating. But it feels to me like we've been at least a season and a half, if not two seasons, where we are in we have been in a massive decline in the kind of standard and quality and pace and power and movement and intensity, all those you know buzzwords about what you know what you need to do to be playing at your best, when was the last time you saw a palace performance and you thought, "Wow, you know we were really really good today. we were on it, we chased everything, we worked as hard as we possibly could work to get that result and I don't ever feel like that anymore, and to me that's not palace and and that's what that's what means means. You know, in, in my view, the Roy Hodgson era has to end and end as quickly as humanly possible so we can move on from this. And it was a very, very poor performance, but not a surprising one. And our sponsor is, of course, Manscaped. The flowers are blooming, the grass is growing, and it's time to chop the weeds. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped. You can trim your holes safely and efficiently. And I'm talking about ball trimmers manscaped the global leaders in men's below the waist grooming have an exclusive offer for our audience use the code botn to get 20 percent off plus free shipping at manscaped.com join the other two million men who trust manscaped they are here to make sure that you are trimmed and smelling nice after all it's time for some spring cleaning now guys we've talked about manscaped a number of times they're a fantastic sponsor they're still with us because you're supporting them because they support us and it's not just that they've got fantastic products too you know it is that time of the year where you know there's a lot of lot of trimming required and that's the it's the same for all of us really we can all relate to the need to keep ourselves uh, well groomed and smelling beautiful they've got all the products to do that so there's a you know we're talking about the weed whacker at the moment that's the nose and ear hair trimmer it provides proprietary skin safe technology which helps prevent nicks snags and tugs in those delicate holes no more gross nose hairs flying in the wind dr you're a young man any danger of ear and nose hair from you yet
4: Ah, uh, no. but i've used manscaped uh, lawnmower before i had my ecg um last week um for my chest because it was a bit too hairy and i'll just say It was, yeah, like the quality is there and you can use 20% sport sport your, not not only downstairs, you can sport your whole body, it can be used for, you know, chest and your armpits as well. So yeah, honestly, I love it. It's right next to me here. It's got a little flashlight. So as I always say, if it's a bit too hairy, don't worry, you'll be able to navigate through it.
1: I'm not gonna, not gonna lie. I used it as a beard trimmer not that long ago because I couldn't find my beard trimmer. So, uh, cleaned it first. It's important you clean it first, uh, and it's very, very easy to clean. Entirely waterproof, of course. But uh, that went. That Manscaped weed whacker it uses a 9,000 rpm motor powered 360 degree rotary dual blade system. Uh, it's making whacking your weeds a time to look forward to, delivering maximum confidence whilst providing. Hygiene And uh, speaking of that hygiene, all the Manscaped products have formulations that keep you fresh and ready for everything that comes your way all day. For example, the Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturiser. It's starting to get hot outside. It's crucial to stop your balls sticking to your leg, which, yeah, we've all been there. Uh, And obviously, doctor you're a young man. The older you get, the more that happens, just so you're aware. Um, (laughs) You'll find that the Crop Reviver which is the toner for spraying on your balls, which keeps you smelling fresh down there, just like those spring flowers. And finally, sme- speaking of smelling fresh, you can complete your grooming game with the new refined cologne signature scent by Manscaped. It I, it, it is top quality. We all got some free samples of that use it regularly. It smells beautiful. Um, and yeah, get involved there. So smell good and feel good this spring. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BOTN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code BOTN at manscaped.com. It's spring cleaning, baby, and your balls will thank you. Okay. And to end the show, let's just take a moment to, to think about that game, that performance and, and, you know, what I just said really at uh, the end there, is this the f- kind of final nail in the coffin for Roy Hodgson? Many people would say that happened a long time ago and many people will say absolutely not. Look at the points total. But for me, you know, this is, you know, if you're, if you're a decision maker and you've been in any doubt at all, every time we churn out a performance like this, it just reinforces the idea to me that we need to go in another direction. You know, we've got to refresh the squad and we have to refresh the manager because this mentality will not take us forward. It will not enable us to progress. And eventually that does catch up with you. And Mike, there was a comment from, what uh, was an article from TalkSport, I believe, uh, regarding a potential new manager. What was, what was that all about?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, TalkSport, obviously um, it, people have very mixed opinions on it. Uh, owned by the same people that own The Sun, all that kind of stuff. Um, This is Alex Crook, though, and he does the the game day podcast that they do. So, um, you know, I'd say a little bit more um, worth listening to than um, the majority of the time. And obviously, they have to keep talking about football for 24 hours. So, you know, it's pretty easy to pick out some strange comments. Um, But yeah, for for the pod, um, he was asked about Palace and what's going to happen. And I'll read you this quote. I think it will be Sean Dyche. I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that he's been spotted house hunting in the London area. I think he's had his flirtations with Palace before. And, I mean, Alex Cook does know his stuff about Palace, there's no question. And I think he is aware now that he's probably taken Bernie as far as they can, barring a flurry of money to spend this summer from the new owners that I'm not entirely convinced will be forthcoming. I would be very surprised if it wasn't Sean Dice. So following our... Could it be how Could it be Dyche, Um If he's been spotted looking at flats in London... Could just be that Burnley's a shit hole, but
4: there you go. It, it probably is Burnley's a shit like hole. If you live in Burnley, you know, hats off to you because it must be a hard thing to do um, looking at from the outside. But it, it, I think it is the Burnley shit hole part. I mean, have you been Burnley, mate?
0: Uh, I mean, I've I've been to um, to watch Palace at Burnley. I didn't. I, I'm trying to think whether I played a gig there. I don't think so. I just I don't think they've actually got a music venue in Burnley. Uh,
4: so I think prob- even prob- driving through Burnley is enough. I mean, you should have. Yeah, I went Burnley once, and yeah, never again. There's a reason for that. Wow,
1: um, <laughs> it's not uh, it's not the most fascinating of places, I have to say. But um, nice cricket club next to the ground. Uh, don't really remember Turf Moor as a result of it. But hey, um, I think. You know, I I am not going to repeat myself from earlier about dice, but interesting to see those rumours and whether or not, you know, the likelihood of somebody house hunting in the current environment, like being seen house hunting. I don't know what that constitutes at the moment, but you know, I'm sure you can still view properties and what have you, but it just seemed a bit of a weird thing to say. Um and obviously, you know, the the how rumours haven't gone away. Um, you know, he's he's not been wanting to get into football until the end of the season and you look at how and think you know, that thing, that, that seems to align. You know, the rumours about Celtic were there and then seem to have gone away again. And then there's further rumours with him potentially joining Palace, which would align with the, the contract expiry of Roy Hodgson, uh, where Howe will be ready to take on a job. We know Parish likes him and wanted to appoint him before. Um, so that's there. And obviously the Roma manager, Paolo Fonseca, has also been linked. So there's a, there's an awful lot being talked about in terms of a new Palace manager. Um, but, you know, it does feel like a two-horse race between, between Eddie Howe and Sean Dice for me. Personally, I'd go Howe, even though I have real concerns over his um, ability to, to build the, the kind of squad that we need to stay in the Premier League.
4: And also, another thing about house hunting is that I have experienced over this with a player in the NBA who's played for the Spurs, Kawhi uh, Leonard. He built a house. Forget about house hunting. He built a house and still left the city. So I don't think anything to do with houses means anything. They're just rich people just trying to buy houses at good locations. It just makes sense. So. Ignore it. I think it's still gonna be Eddie Howe. I really do. Even though Daesh wants to come, um and we can have debate Daesh versus Howe, pros and cons, which are pros and cons of both managers we talked about last week. Um I still feel like it'll be Eddie Howe. If it wasn't if that wasn't the case, then why hasn't Eddie Howe still signed for Celtic, which has been rumoured for a while now? Um I think there's a reason for that. And I do feel like Palace are going for Howe more than Daesh, even though Daesh wants to come to Palace.
1: Yeah, the only thing that sort of puts a little doubt in my mind is there was rumours that Howe um, sort of backed away from the Celtic job because he wasn't able to bring you know his own director of football in to to work with him on the transfers. And I have to say, I can't see Palace parting company with, with Dougie anytime soon on changing the way they work with the Chief Scout and with, with Steve Parrish and Dougie Friedman uh, working together there as well. I don't think we would change that. So it's a possibility that if, if Howe's... Looking for that kind of a setup when he could bring in all of his own people, people he trusts, which you'd want a manager to do. Um, maybe the Palace job isn't for him either, and that's why the Dice rumours have surfaced, and why you know the Paolo Fonseca rumours have surfaced.
0: If you've got Doggy Friedman, you've already got a Rolls Royce. It doesn't. It doesn't matter who you want to bring in. You've <laughs> already got it. It's all good. It's fine.
4: It's fine. Or maybe it's just the rumours from how as an excuse you never know it's what gets said to the press it might be house camp saying that uh as an excuse you know holding off and then later on if things don't work at palace he could go there and say all right fine i'll work with the director now, It might just be that i don't know
1: yeah well fingers crossed well anyway look you know any anyone who's still very much in the roy in camp you have my um well, to some degree, my admiration for, for your patience. Um, but for me, I'm I'm really looking forward to a change and a, and a different summer. Um, I know a lot of people, you know, have bought their season tickets already and I'll be doing the same thing. But, you know, it's, it's really for me, it's because I, I miss going to games. And I do think things would be different if we were all back in the stadium one way or the other. I think things would be very different right now. So still missing my football and, and things are... Feeling very bleak and boring and negative at the moment, but uh, hopefully that won't be forever. So, thank you very much to Mike and to DR for joining me today. Thank you very much to everybody for listening. Uh, and hopefully, we'll be bringing better news in the next match report. But do check out the preview show in midweek. Look out for our sponsors, engage with them because they help us and helped us throughout the course of this season. And of course, keep listening and Come on, you palace. Back of the Nest Review Show,
0: sponsored by PitchDMM.com.
3: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
2: It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com.
0: This podcast is proud to be part of the Talksport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.